Well, it feels like it's been a little while, this side of the pulpit. So it feels like an introduction is in store. I'm Sean. Uh, it's good to be with you and good to, good to get to bring God's Word to you this morning. Uh, while we begin, I'd ask you to turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. If you need to look at that uh, kind of uh, table of, of contents at the front of the Bible, it is one of the New Testament letters, uh, not too far to the right of the Gospels. So the book of Ephesians. It's a short six-chapter uh, letter to the church there at Ephesus, written, penned by Paul there in the mid-late first century. Uh, as you're turning there, I want to introduce this with a similar passage. If you're unfamiliar with Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, uh, it is my life verse. I love Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. I love the book of Ephesians. But one of the reasons why I loved Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 uh, was because I misunderstood them. And so this morning, I want us to be able to look at uh, Paul's primary intention in writing Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. And to be able to kind of preface that, think of a popular passage that is uh, put on bookmarks, on pictures, on coffee mugs. Think of the most popular scripture uh, that is branded all over those things, but often is misunderstood what its intended meaning was. I hope you're thinking of the one that I'm thinking of, and that's Philippians 4, verse 13. We've seen football players with it inscribed under their eyes. We've seen it on coffee mugs. We've perhaps even seen it in a coffee shop. We've seen it everywhere. Athletes use it to be able to say, I can do all things. There's nothing, nobody that can hold me back from being able to do these things because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Praise the Lord. But we need to remember that there's a context. There are verses that happened before that where Paul says that whether in famine or in abounding, whether in fullness or in nothing, I've learned to do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So it's not in a context of uh, victory. It's in a context of victory in the midst of hardship. So likewise, when we turn to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, we need to see its context. Because in its context, I believe it's even more beautiful than even just the power that are there in verse 20 and 21. So if you would, stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. I believe it'll be on the screen behind me. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. May the Lord receive honor in the reading of his word. You may be seated. That is a powerful passage. Two verses that 
Honestly, what we've just done in our worship by ascribing praise to our God, we've done these things. We've heaped up praise to his name. This powerful passage is preceded by a section starting in verse 14. So in this morning's sermon, I want us to look at the background, what leads us to verses 20 and 21. Then I want us to see the purpose of verses 20 and 21. And then finally, I want us to see applications for this text on our life. The background, the purpose, and application for us today. The background of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, uh, is not only preceded by the subsequent verses in chapter 3, but it comes in uh, the middle of Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. It comes as a bridge, so to speak, from Paul just unpacking this immense theology of how God is reconciling all things in Christ for the unity uh, of those who love him. That, that he's unpacking all of these things. Think of uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. This one long run-on sentence where Paul just unpacks all of the blessings that are the children of God, those who've trusted in Christ by faith, all of the blessings that are ours because of our union with Christ. Let me read just a couple verses beginning in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Christ Jesus according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. We could keep going in Ephesians chapter 1. We could just read all of Ephesians uh, because it's just beautiful theology. Uh, then you think of not only Ephesians chapter 1, but you think of the rich theology in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And you... Right? Remember, he's writing this in the context of a local church, those who have assembled as those who have trusted, believed in Christ by faith, and have been reconciled by his blood. So he says, And you were, past tense, dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. This morning in Sunday school, we were talking about the image of God and how it reconciles us, uh, how Christ reconciles that broken, fallen image, and that the Bible doesn't make us, it doesn't puff us up. It doesn't say, man, you're going to win American Idol and things are just going to be so good for you. It's going to be great. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. It doesn't say we were the best. What it, what it does is it says, you're sick. And you're not just sick as in some form of medication will help you. You're sick and that you are dead in your sins and trespasses. And you need to be made alive is the um, inference. And then it continues, verse 3, among whom we all, Paul's not just saying you, 
He's saying, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Praise the Lord for the first word in verse 4. But you were dead in trespasses and sins. You were walking according to the power of the air. You were walking in all type of foolishness. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when, beloved, hear that, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Then, verses 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So this serves as a bridge of this beautiful, robust, rich theology of what Christ has done for us in redeeming us by His blood how he did so before the foundation of the world. All of these things, beautiful, rich, reminding us these truths. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, serve as that bridge from rich and robust theology to the practical, fleshly walk in this way. And he uses that specific terminology. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, he says, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Right? Paul's not trying to build on a foundation that's not been built for the previous three chapters. No, he's saying, walk in this way. As those who've been transformed by the power of Christ, those who have been united in Him, that then means we're going to live a particular way. So, he gives these applications in, verse, in chapters 4 through 6. He continues in verses 17 through 20 of chapter 4, and then 25 through 32. And really all of the preceding, or all of the continued chapters, verses, or chapters 4, 5, and 6 of Ephesians are these practical outworkings of what the gospel ought to do in a believer's life. Life And so here in verses 20 and 21 of chapter 3, we have this bridge between beautiful theology and what it looks like to practically apply it. So the background, it's not only just what precedes it in Ephesians, it's also what precedes it in the immediate passage. Verses 14 through 19. Paul as one of the planters of this Ephesian church, sets the context this way. Read with me in verse 14 and following. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ 
that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's the setting. That's the background of Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. So Paul gives this doxology, so to speak, in verse 20 and 21, as a response to everything that precedes it. So what is Paul's purpose? What is Paul's purpose? Paul's purpose starts with prayer. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And he describes, he doesn't just say before the Father. He expands from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Remember when Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray? He says, pray in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Right? Paul, again, says that when, when I'm praying, and beloved, when we're praying, we are praying to this same God, this same access to this powerful, omnipotent Father. We, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, have the very access that Paul has. But he says it's for this reason that he goes before the Father that, here's the reason, that according to the riches of His glory, let's just pause. What are the resources of which Paul prays God would do these things? It's not according to our ability. It's not according to our benevolence. Who's He grounding this in? Through the riches of His glory. Right? Back in Ephesians chapter 1, if you are, are familiar with the book of Ephesians, Paul says that we have been given uh, the gift, uh, the spiritual gift uh, of the heavenly realm according to His. So too, Paul prays that it's not according to our ability, it's not according to what we want, it's according to the riches of His glory, denoting that there is nothing He cannot do. There is no end to His ability. There is no end to His willingness. Friends, that is good news. When I walk into a store with my kids, they snatch things off of the shelves. And I'm either unwilling to purchase said thing, or two, I'm unable. No, we're, as much as I want to buy that awesome Star Wars Lego set, William, we cannot do that. I want to, but we cannot. But when Paul grounds this in the riches of God and the riches of His glory, we ought to, as His followers, Recognize there is nothing that he is unable to do and nothing that he is unwilling to do as it pertains to what Paul is asking. So according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your 
inner being. There's something beautiful about how Paul writes about the activity of our triune God in Ephesians. There's something amazing about how we see very clearly that it is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit at work in the world, in the work of the church. It is all three working together. And in this specific instance, he prays that the Father would strengthen believers with power through his spirit. The spirit that Ephesians chapter 1 says is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That's Paul's purpose, that God would strengthen them with the power of the spirit in their inner being, in our inner being, for the purpose of, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I think the denotion here is not that Christ has not dwelt in their hearts through faith, but it actually is the very fact that these believers have trusted in Christ by faith, and He now indwells them. The very fact that He writes that the Spirit of God would be in them, strengthening them with power in their inner being. But beloved, if it were not for the Spirit, I think we would be just like the disciples on the lake, and the storm arises, and Jesus is asleep in the foot or the belly of the boat. We would go through our lives like a ship tossed to and fro. Friends, just think about your last six weeks. Whiplash might be an adequate term, but it's the Spirit who Paul prays would grant you strength with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that we might, as the hymn says, be able to say, even though, even though the storm comes and goes, it is well. Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Rooted and grounded in love is the footsteps we ought to be walking in, the activity of which we as believers walk in, not only rooted and grounded in the love that Christ has shown us, but rooted and grounded in love and being able to show that same love with others. That in being rooted and grounded in love, we may have Strength. This, again, is a repetition of strengthened with power. What is the reminder that when, we have, uh, when Christ has come and dwells in our hearts through faith, 
How does Jesus tell Nicodemus this conversion takes place, this salvation takes place? You must be born again, Nicodemus. Nicodemus responds, how can an old man enter the womb of his mother again? It's impossible. Fast forward, Jesus says, with man it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. The strength that we need, the power from the Spirit to be strengthened in our inner being is supernatural strength. Only can it be attained through godly means. And so that's why Paul is driven to prayer. We cannot go to the gym and get this strength. We cannot, I would argue, come to church and get this strength. We can point you to this strength. We can point you to these things. But if you're actively not on your knees in prayer, desiring this strength, you're walking around and you don't even know how weak you really are. This strength is only strength that comes from the triune God. It does not come in us. It is not some uh, quick fix you can find in a YouTube short. It is not found on TikTok. You won't be able to find out how to get these spiritual gains apart from the Spirit of God supernaturally working in and through you. So he says, you may have strength to comprehend. There's this uh, tension between comprehend at the beginning of verse 18 and then in the beginning of verse 19, knowledge. Comprehension and knowledge. Figuratively, I know how algebra works. Actually, I don't comprehend it at all. I thought that would be funny, but I think some might be sleeping this morning. All the same, I'm glad to be preaching the Word of God. And I hope that those are here, those who have ears, would hear the Word of God and would render it as such. This comprehension, this knowledge, again, to answer my own question, Paul says that you would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Again, what's the inference there? I want you to know what you would not be able to know. Why would Paul pray for something impossible? Why would Paul pray for something that you would know, but that you have no ability to know? Because again, it points to the Spirit. Through the pro proclamation of the gospel, it's through hearing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of Christ. And so when Paul says that you would have strength to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, there is the reminder that it is possible. It is possible, but it's not possible in our own means. Yesterday I was asked to send a chart of measurements of our 
rooms in our house, something for, for taxes. And uh, I went back to my notes to January of last year, and it was the worst uh, kept measurements you would have ever seen. Uh, it was just the measurements and not which room the measurements were for and any of those things. But I remember when we measured those things that I was trying to use a tape measure and our realtor was using a laser measure. And it would be as if I didn't have any of those things. To be able to know the height and depth and breadth and length of the love that Christ has for us. Friends, when he talks about comprehension, he doesn't just want you to know it factually. He doesn't just want you to know and to be able to recite like many of our kids so excitedly do. Christ died for us. That's what Easter's about. The empty tomb, our kids would say. That's not the comprehension. That's not the knowledge that Paul is praying about. For that same knowledge leads people straight to hell. To be able to know those things in a uh, mind type of way, in a mental capacity, is just as good as you knowing what the capital of Kentucky is or what two plus two equals. The only way that we might know the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ is to experience it. To know the thing you cannot know. To know the thing that surpasses knowledge. Because in a way we might look at, turn back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse Four, we might look at verses one through three and say, there's no way that a righteous and just and holy God would ever die for sinners who were like that. But remember, it's not according to our ability. It's not according to our willingness, but it's God who is being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Beloved, if you've trusted in this Jesus, there are things that you can and can't explain. You can explain how you've tasted and seen the goodness of God in your life. His grace shown to you over and over again. His patient mercy as he walks with you through your own foolishness. We can all give a hearty amen to that. But then there are things that when we boil it all down, if someone were to ask us, why would Jesus die in your place? If you truly were the one dead in your trespasses and sins, why would this perfect God-man Jesus lay down his life? Our only answer is grace. Nothing in us, only in him. His mercy and grace in us. That experientially, 
more than comprehension, more than knowing the thing that cannot be known, that we would grasp what is the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ in our place. Now, friends, we don't need to go to a dartboard and hope that it hits at, oh, that's it. That's the answer to God's love, the height and depth. Friends, we ought look to the cross, which we celebrate each and every week, the work of Christ in our place. We need not go anywhere else other than the cross and to continually look at his body on the cross, resurrected from the grave, ascended on high, and now sitting at the right hand of the Father. And to just continue to go back to that mirror, to continue to see those truths and let them wash over us. You see, you may be good at math. You may be good at some type of subject. But the more and more and more and more and more that you are in front of it, the more and more you begin to see different beauties as you look at different angles. The more that you understand what is going on? The way they talk about it in athletics is that when you're young in your career, everything's just going so fast. But then there comes a point where it slows down. Friends, I, I pray, just as Paul prays, that we would know what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and that in our not knowing, we would seek it out. Lord, how much do you love me? Take that question to the text of God's word. Because you'll find the answer in the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that anyone who believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. To any who call on the name of Jesus, he will be saved. Friend, that truth is available today. So the knowledge that you cannot know, the strength in which you cannot muster, Paul prays these things knowing that the bedrock of them is not us, but it's God. And so he can say as if this spring boiling over, as theology turns into worship, now to him who is able to do far more than I can ever think or ask according to the power at work within us to him. Be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You want to be strengthened in your inner being by the Spirit of God? It can happen through Christ who gives you strength. You want to know what is the height and breadth and length and depth of the love that Christ has for you? This God is able 
to do far more abundantly than all we ask or seek. Let me tell you, you may get close to attaining what is the height and breadth and depth and all of those things of the love of Christ, but you won't fully understand it until you see him. Until that veil uh, that stands before us when we see him in glory. Friends, isn't it good news to know that the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit are working in believers right now, in you right now, if you've trusted in Jesus, to strengthen you with the Spirit of God. To make known to you the breadth and length and height and depth. I love how the psalmist says that the the Lord removes our sin as far as the east is from the west, reminding us there's, there's no amount. These depths that Peter says, even the angels long to look. Friends, we will never, and may we never, grow tired of desiring to know the breadth and length and height and depth of Christ's love for us, and that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are revealing those things to us, making known to us the things that cannot be known, because He is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. I've never used a Greek word from this pulpit, so I think it's time. (laughs) One author uh, and theologian, Ben Merkel, says that this rare Greek adjective, uh, don't dare tell any of the professors that I tried to pronounce it, hyperparuso, soy, means quite beyond all measure and communicates the highest form of comparison imaginable. This same God is at work within us. And so, consequently, our response should be to praise and glorify Him. Beloved, what is your response? That Christ dwells in your hearts through faith. That He has lavished on you according to the riches of his glory that he is making known the height and depth and breadth and length of his love for you that he even let's step back just a little bit that he even gave up his own son scripture reminds us that god the father did not even withhold his own son Friends, our response ought to be worship. That is the purpose of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. What applications might we find in this text? One quick thing and then three to follow it off. Friends, if you're here and Christ does not dwell in your heart by faith, Christ does not just automatically dwell in your heart. That's not how that works. Christ dwells in your heart 
by the power of the Holy Spirit, making known to you that you are a sinner, that Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 are a reality about you, dead in your trespasses and sins. Turning from that reality of recognizing your sinful, separated heart from Christ and turning to Him. Turning to Him, actively turning from sin and turning to Christ. Trusting Him and Him alone as the sacrifice for your sins. This knowledge, this Spirit working within you, knowing the depths of Christ's love will never come until you've turned in faith from your sin to Jesus. And friends, this morning, if you sense that that needs to be true of you, that you need to turn from your sin and turn to Jesus for your salvation. Maybe you say, I want to know the love of God and I just don't get it. I want strength to be able to do the things that I want to do and it feels like I just can't. I want to be able to know how wide and how deep God's love for me is in Christ. Friends, trust in Him this morning. Trust in Him this morning. For whoever confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart, they will be saved. Turn to Him this morning. Three applications for the believer from the text. Verse 16, Paul prays for strength from the Spirit. Believer, you want to know the love of God? You want to be strengthened as a man or a woman of God? You want to follow in His ways? Pray this prayer. Strengthen me by your Spirit. One professor at Southern said that one of the things he does before his feet even hit the floor getting out of bed in the morning is he prays simply, Lord, fill me with your spirit. So my challenge to you is in line with verse 16 that you would do similarly. Lord, today, strengthen me by your spirit. Second application from verse 18, help me know the love you have for me. Right? We're not talking in abstract terms. We're not talking uh, in, to different people. We're talking to the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Help me know the love you have for me. How often do we doubt how often do we doubt the love that individuals have for us? How often do we doubt the love that God has for us? Verse 18, Paul prays that they would know the depths and heights and width. Second application, help me know the love you have for me. Verse 19, and our third and final application, fill me with your fullness. All of these things are not devoid of godliness. It's all that we might be filled, the end of verse 19 says, 
that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This progressive sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus each and every day. May we pray, fill me with your fullness. May we desire him more than our sin and cast it away. May we desire to be holy in our thoughts, in our words, and in our conduct. Strengthen me by your spirit. Help me know the love you have for me and fill me with your fullness. Friends, what a difference. Walking in the power of the Holy Spirit would make not only in our individual lives, but would make a difference in our church, would make a difference in our families, would make a difference in our homes, would make a difference in our community, would make a difference in our state. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray.